Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's good to be, be with you this morning. It's good to have the, the privilege and the honor of sharing the Word of God with you. I was thinking when Dave was speaking there, you know that um, we're certainly not uh, taking on the spirit of fear. But why should we when we're seeing in our world today what Jesus predicted would happen in the last days? We were looking at Luke 21 last night, uh, where all these things, pestilence, is predicted in the last days. Yeah, and this is a pestilence. It talks about, and as we watch the news and we see nations um, cutting off their uh, source of source of income, uh, cutting off their tourism, etc. We and the word that sort of I, I seem to get when I, look, when I look and listen to it all is the word perplexity. And that's predicted, that word is actually used in Luke 21, where Jesus informs his disciples that in the last days people are going to be perplexed, men's hearts are going to fail them for fear, there's going to be pestilence, there's going to be famines, there's going to be earthquakes. We're seeing that all. It's all happening today. So why should we, you know, why should we be, be fearful when this is something that Jesus says is predicted to happen in the last days? And then he says this. He says this in, uh, in, in Luke 21 again. And he, read these passages yourself and go home. Don't read them now. Listen to my message, okay? Um, but read them when you go home. Luke 21, Matthew 24, Revelation, Revelation chapter 6. We find in the fourth seal where a quarter of the world's population will, will die. And, and you wonder when you read that how that could happen, but we see now how it could happen. And so uh, read those for, uh, for yourself. But Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 21, towards the end of the chapter, after he had given them all these warnings, he says, when you see these things beginning to happen, yeah, when you see these things beginning to happen, and we're seeing them beginning to happen, what does Jesus say? He says, lift up your heads. Yeah? He says, you know, don't, don't take on the spirit of fear. Lift up your head. Straighten up yourself. Lift up your heads. Why? For your redemption draws near. Jesus is coming back very soon. And the important thing is that we are ready for that. And so... Uh, that was just by the way, I was thinking about that when Dave was speaking there. But we're talking today about uh, the great uh, event of the transfiguration of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17. And so this past uh, few weeks and months even, we have been following Jesus in all of life. Isn't that right? We're still following Jesus in all of life in spite of all that's going on around us. We're still trying to follow Jesus in all of life. And we've been considering the truths in those chapters about the, the, 
the, the parables. We have been um, teaching through through the through the parables in Matthew 13, and 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 in that we saw how Jesus wants people to think about and know about the truth about the value of the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. Those parables, and <clears throat> Jesus is teaching people to think about that and to know about that and also to know who he is as the son of God. He's trying to, uh, to, to get his disciples especially to realize who he is as the son of God. And so um, in the next few chapters, uh, after chapter 13, we read um, about how, how Jesus lived out that truth and how he, in doing that, how he performed miracles and heals lots of sick people and teaches about inner purity. And then in Matthew 17, which is our passage for the day, Matthew 17, verses 1 to 8, Jesus is revealed in a whole new aspect to a choice view of his disciples. Peter and James and John. So, have we Matthew 17, verses 1 to 8 on the screen? Yeah? What does it say? And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Arise and have no fear. Tremendous experience. When they lifted up their eyes, that's an important verse. They saw no one but Jesus only. Tremendous experience for uh, the disciples. Um, but what, what truths can, can we learn from all of that? Well, in Matthew 16, verses 21 to 27, that's, that's the previous chapter, Jesus had just predicted his death and his resurrection. He just told them that he's going to die. And when, when Peter hears that, Peter, Peter's shocked, vis visibly shocked, and Peter challenges uh, Jesus uh, when, when, when Jesus spoke that way very, very clearly about the, uh, the cross, about his death, and, and about his, his burial and his resurrection. And, and also in, that, in, that, uh, in those verses in chapter 16, we have Jesus clearly talking about if those... Uh, are going to be true disciples, then there's going to be a cost to, to that dis dis discipleship. 
So let's read those verses in uh, chapter 16, verses 21 to 27. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, returned, but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Challenging verses, aren't they? Jesus is teaching the cost of discipleship. True disciple, if we want to be true disciples, then we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross and follow him. It's the cost of discipleship. Not an easy thing to be a Christian, but it's very rewarding. Then there's a challenge to those who don't believe. What would it profit a man, he said, if he, he would gain the whole world and lose his soul? That's a, that's a challenge this morning to anyone here who's not saved. Yeah? Jesus said, what would, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world? It's highly unlikely you'd ever do that. Highly unlikely that anyone would ever gain the whole world, all its money and wealth and fame, riches, etc. It's hardly likely that anyone would do that. But it is possible to lose your soul in pursuit of it. Yeah? And so that's the challenge this morning. You know, if you're not saved here this morning in church, I wouldn't be in your shoes for all the money in the world for five minutes. I wouldn't take the risk of losing my soul. The old preachers used to say this, to lose, your, to lose your wealth is much, to lose your health is more, but to lose your soul is such a loss that nothing can restore. And so this morning, just that, that challenge comes from those verses in Matthew chapter 16. Now I want to draw your attention to this verse the last verse of the chapter, where Jesus made uh, in verse 28, was, I know this is a difficulty for some people. Here, uh, Jesus made this startling uh, statement, and there was that that there were some standing there with him who would not taste death until they saw him coming in his kingdom. Uh, and and the problem is, uh, when we look at that, what does it mean for some there? Uh, the problem was uh, that these disciples have all died and yet Jesus has not come in power and glory to set up his kingdom. So, so, so you, see the, you see the problem? But the problem is solved. If, if, we, if you look at your Bibles, if you disregard the chapter break and consider the first verses of the next chapter, 
as an explanation to that uh, puzzling statement in the last verse of the previous chapter. You see, the word and, verse 1, links the two chapters. And here we have described the incident on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transformed in a way no one had experienced before. These three guys, it's amazing, they had the tremendous privilege of having a preview of Jesus in glory, in the glory of his kingdom. Just as he had said they would in uh, six days earlier to this year. And so, uh, it must have been an awesome sight. It says in, uh, you know, his raiment shone in, in, in Mark's gospel, it says his, 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 his clothes were white, they were, they were brighter than any soap could make them. You know, better than Daz or Persil or any of those uh, those washing powders could do. Jesus, uh, uh, Raymond, Sean, it must have been an awful sight. And we call this transformation of Jesus, we call it the transfiguration. Transfiguration. You've heard that, I'm sure, many times and wondered what it's about. It's, a, it's an interesting word. The Greek word is actually metamorphosis. Yeah? We... We relate that sometimes to the, you know, the, the caterpillar t becoming a butterfly. And, and that's, uh, that's what metamorphosis means. It means to, to transform literally or, or, or figuratively to, to metamorphosis or to change. See, the word is a verb and it means to change into another form. It also means to change from the inside to the outside. Um, it means to change the inside, uh, change the outside to match the inside. And I think that's a beautiful thing when we think of Jesus <coughs> being uh, transformed. And in the case of the, trigger, uh, of the transfiguration here of Jesus, it means to match the outside with the reality of the inside. We'll look at that more in a moment or two. To change the outward. God was changing the outward in Jesus to match the inward reality. In, Luke, in John chapter 1, verse 14, you know that verse well. When Jesus came into the world... <clears throat> His divine nature was veiled, veiled. People say, you know, sometimes he laid aside his glory. Jesus didn't lay aside his glory. Jesus' glory was veiled. He veiled his glory in a human body. And <clears throat> it says there that the word, which was equal to God, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus was the word, he was God. And then it says, the word became flesh. So God became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. You look at his life. You listen to his words. And you know exactly what God is like. And so uh, the word became flesh 
the disciples had witnessed as they, as they walked with him. The disciples had witnessed his moral glory and his power as he did miracles and healed people. But on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured, Peter and James and John got a glimpse of his full glory. An awesome sight. His full glory. The transfigure, transfiguration of Jesus displayed the Shekinah glory, the dwelling or the presence of God incarnate in his son. You remember in the, in the wilderness when, uh, when the tabernacle was the meeting place for, or the dwelling place for, of God? You remember the, the pillar of uh, cloud, the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night? indicating that the presence of God was there. And so Jesus is displayed here in that Shekinah glory or that dwelling or presence of God. And then in verse 5, in Matthew 17, verse 5, we hear a voice. It's the voice of God attesting to the truth of Jesus' sonship. And this was the second time that God would do that. You remember the first time was when Jesus was baptized in, in, into his public ministry by John the Baptist. Remember the words of God that came down that day when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The disciples had just heard the voice of God that day, but in the transfiguration of Jesus, there was this unique display of his divine character and a glimpse of his glory. I don't know how long it lasted, but it must have been an amazing sight. A glimpse of the glory of the Lord, which Jesus had before he came to earth, veiled in, in human form. So <clears throat> that's, that's the what of, of transfiguration, what it, what it was. Why do we think it was necessary? Why, why do you think it was necessary this morning for Jesus to be, to be transfigured? Well, I think, you see, after, after three months, or sorry, after three years of following Jesus, the disciples had seen his miracles. They had even done miracles themselves. Um, in, in Jesus' name. And they knew something tangible, some, something visible about, the, about his power and the reality of who Jesus was. And yet, when Jesus, in that previous chapter, remember we read, when Jesus began to talk about dying, when Jesus began to talk about being delivered up by the, the chief priests and the scribes and about being delivered into uh, the hands of the authorities and being killed. Uh, when, he began, when he began to talk about dying, it staggered them. It staggered uh, Peter, especially. You see, Jesus had been trying to get him his impending death. He was trying to get this over to his disciples. And, but as he does that, 
And as he sees Peter's reactions, he just he sees how, how crippled they are um, by this announcement. And what was happening? I, I wonder, you know, were they were they beginning to wonder if he was really the Messiah? Was their was their faith being tested and shaken so much that they and I were doubting that he was the Messiah? I don't know. But I think for that reason. Jesus took these three guys, Peter and James and John, into a high mountain, probably Mount Hermon. High mountain, it was the highest, I think at 9,000 feet, um, but we're not sure. But he took them there away from the other apostles and he began to pray. And he asked his disciples to pray with them. Yeah? And guess what happened? Yeah, he fell asleep. <laughs> you, you have to read that in Luke 9 uh, to find that. But they, they fell asleep. And then, because they were just human, like you and I, they weren't any different. They were just, they were just lads who, 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 you know, after all, it climbed a mountain at 9,000 feet. So, you know, they might be glad to get, to get sitting down. Um, but they, they were sleeping anyway. And as they wake up, wow, what a sight to wake up to. Maybe they thought for a moment they were dreaming. But as they wake up, they see this tremendous sight, Jesus standing before them with an indescribable manifestation of light and glory. Unbelievable. Which will always... You know, when I, was, when I was preparing this, I was thinking, what the disciples saw, we'll see one, we'll see one day when we stand before him. Yeah? We, we've got that to look forward to. We'll see him in all his glory. Yeah? And we'll reign with him in all his glory. Yeah? But we'll stand before him one day and we look into his eyes. Yeah? And, and I have to say this. We'll give an account of our lives first. That's the first thing we'll do. Before we reign with him, we'll stand before him. And remember, we stand before him in single file. I won't have Jerry to back me up. I'll stand before him alone and I'll give an account of my life and so will you. And that's uh, uh, something that we should bear in mind. But here's Jesus now, and the, the disciples are seeing him in all his glory. And <clears throat> this is the glory that he had veiled, um, that external glory. And now, just for a short time, as they watch, they see him transfigured. They see him transformed. They see him metamorphosed, changed into his original glory. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who had so carefully veiled his glory, took it back to himself for this short time before these disciples. And in doing that, I think what Jesus is doing is reinforcing the faith, the staggering faith of his disciples. It's truly an awesome sight. But then there's another remarkable thing that 
that transpires here. Another remarkable thing in verse 3, chapter 17, verse 3. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Wow. Two, two guys, two of the most important characters that we read of in the Old Testament appear and they're conversing with Jesus. They're just they're having a chat with Jesus. Moses and Elijah. <clears throat> Moses, of course, representing the law in the Old Testament. He appears with Jesus and I think that's very significant that it should be Moses. Um, the name Moses was equated with the Old Testament law that God had given to the people. Uh, and Jesus came. Remember, God gave the law to, to Moses, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws, which are hundreds of them. Um, but he gave them to Moses. And Jesus came. Nobody could, no, nobody could fulfill those commandments to the, to the latter, to the latter until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled the commandments of the law <clears throat> and he did something that the law couldn't do. Yeah, which is why we're here today. Jesus did what the law could not do and that is he provided an answer for the problem of sin. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Yeah? And the law pointed to the problem. Jesus gives the solution. Praise God for that this morning. And also, not just Moses, also Elijah, the one who represented the prophets, appeared to them. And the fact of their appearance, we see, is, is, is for real. It's, it's true. The fact of these men appearing is given. What they look like is not given, but they were recognizable. Okay? They were recognizable. And neither are we these neither are we told how these two men <coughs> long passed from the scene of time, long past had, had gone. Uh, we're not told how they could appear in this present world. But, I mean, with God, everything and all things are possible. But then you say, but so why, why Moses and Elijah? Well, not just because Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets of the Old Testament, but I believe Moses, you see, Moses died, isn't that right, remember? Moses died and God buried him. Nobody ever found his grave, but the Bible tells us that Moses died and God buried him somewhere. So Moses died and was buried, and in this glorified body, which we see him now on Mount Hermon, if it was Mount Hermon, we see him in his glorified body, and he represents all the saved people who will enter God's kingdom through death. Yeah? And then we have Elijah, and the strange thing about Elijah was he never died. Yeah? Elijah was translated, and he never died, and Elijah represents those believers who enter the kingdom of God by the rapture of the church. 
And I think that's another reason why Moses and Elijah uh, were chosen to be there with Jesus. Anyway, in chapter, in verse 4 of chapter 17, it would seem at this point we come to a strange part of the story. It would seem at this point that Peter becomes preoccupied with the appearance of seeing Moses and Elijah. And while he acknowledges that it was good for them to be, to be there, have we got that on the screen? Matthew 17, verse 4. Um, while, while, while Peter acknowledges that it's good, he says it's good to be, to be here, but do you know Peter? He's the man of action. He's always doing things that nobody else thinks about. And here he is, and, uh, you know, Jesus has just appeared in glory, but Peter seems to become preoccupied and, and, and he wants to, to make some sort of fitting memorial for this event. He says, I want to make three, three tents or three whatever. And uh, he's, some, he's somehow taken his eye off the awesomeness of Jesus and become more taken up with the experience. Yeah? He's taken his eyes off Jesus and become more preoccupied with the experience or with the event. I think it's a big lesson in that for us. Yeah? You know, sometimes we can take our eyes off Jesus and be more preoccupied with experiences. Experiences are wonderful when they reassure us of who Jesus is and of his glory. But we all need to keep our hearts and minds fixed on what Jesus says and what Jesus teaches rather than experiences. Yeah? Let's, let's learn that lesson this morning. God says, listen to him. You know, I thought it was interesting, just words that are pointed out to me. Peter said, it, referring to the event, he said, it's good for us to be here. But while he's still speaking, God says, this is my beloved son. Peter says, it, that's the event, the things that are going around, on around us. And while he's still while he's still speaking, God interrupts him and says, this, get your eyes off it. Get your eyes on this. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so God <clears throat> interrupts Peter and he uh, points him to Jesus. Verse 5 then. Matthew 17, verse 5. God had to speak from the cloud and overshadowed them to, to remind them of the importance of focusing on and listening to Jesus. Focusing on him and listening to him. This, he's pointing to him. 
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Look at him and listen to him. Wow, what a lesson for us this morning. To constantly be looking to Jesus and listening to what he says. Couldn't go wrong. Sure you couldn't. <laughs> or, or you wouldn't be discouraged either if we were doing that. So, listening to him, the beloved son of God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listening to the truth of Jesus. The truth that Jesus taught in what pleases God. When we, when we talk about experiences, God may allow us to have experience, real experiences of his presence at times, but he wants our focus always to be on Jesus, not the experience. Yeah? That's what we did this morning when we had communion. Yeah? When we come up around the table. It wasn't the act of walking up and actually taking the, the emblems that was important. You have to do that, but the important thing is our focus on Jesus. And when we come to the communion table, that should be our focus. Our focus should be Jesus. We're, we're, we're looking at emblems that remind us of him. And so <clears throat> Jesus gives these three disciples this manifestation of himself, to, I believe, to convince them of who he really is. Jesus was setting these men for special tasks. Why Peter, James, and John? Why, why them? Well, James was going to be the first apostle to die under Herod. He was going to be slain by the sword. The first apostle to die. I know Stephen was martyred before that, but he was the first apostle to die for the testimony of Jesus. Yeah? Find that in Acts 12. Peter would be given the keys of the kingdom. Yeah? To open the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. And I know that we attribute that to Paul. And Paul did take the, the gospel across the continents. But Peter was the guy that opened the door in the house of Cornelius. Remember that? Jesus gave him the keys of the kingdom. And John, wow, what a task John was going uh, to have. And Jesus fitted these men for the, was fitting these men for the task ahead of them. And John, of course, would receive the great uh, revelation, the special revelation uh, that you read about in the first revelation. And so, you know, Peter, this is what Peter got out of it. Look at Second Peter 1 verse 18 when he says, he's talking to the people now and he's writing about the transfiguration and he says, we did not bring you cunningly devised fables. Oh no, he's got his faith back, hasn't he? We made known to you the power of Jesus because we were with him. Where? On the holy mountain. He's referring back to the transfiguration where his faith was strengthened uh, beyond measure. We know he is the Messiah and will reign as Messiah because we saw his glory. So, in summary then, in summary, can I ask you, do you, this morning, I ask myself this, do you really believe that Jesus is the beloved Son of God, so much so that you listen 
to what he says, you will listen to what he says, and you will obey what he says. Jesus says, if you love me, yeah, don't just sing about it. Don't just talk about it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I say. If you love me, prove it by keeping my commandments. Maybe you have been more focused on the way you want to live your life rather than obeying the truth about what Jesus taught. Yeah? Maybe you're more interested in living the life, your life the way you want to live it than obeying the words of Jesus on how you should be living it. Maybe because of circumstances in your life at present, you, you're discouraged. We all can get discouraged and, and have taken your focus off who Jesus is and his power as the son of the almighty God. Well, there's an answer to that. And the only answer to that is to get into God's word and ask God for a fresh revelation of who Jesus was. I think that is key to so much that's wrong in our lives at times. We need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is and of what Jesus has done for us. If we could really have a fresh revelation of what transpired on the cross, of Jesus' death, of Jesus' sacrifice for us, to get into the word of God and ask God for a fresh revelation of who Jesus is and of Jesus' love for us. And why not spend some time just doing that at the foot of the cross, just pondering Jesus' love for us. See, the cross is the greatest proof you have of Jesus' love for you. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to look to him, to focus on him. This, God says, this, Peter, stop talking about this stuff over here. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the word of God. There's no toast, but there's We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.